I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class, but I love quilting and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. So join me now as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy, and I'm a quilter, and welcome to episode 178, in which I took another, another class, and I'm recording this on Sunday, March 8th, 2015. I am once again back to using my headset microphone because um, I got reports again. Again, for most people, they seem to not be having problems with the audio, but there are a couple of people who are. I think I've narrowed down who might be having a problem and who not, not in terms of people, but what the issues might be, people who are listening to it one way versus another. Um, but in any case, one of the people that did give me some feedback said it was fine when I did the episode when I used my headset. So that makes me think the issue is in the microphone. I did try to uh, purchase a new cord for the microphone. You all start out with the cheapest option first, and that didn't work. And since everything else looks fine on my computer and you know in terms of my recording and editing and all of that it it's all looking fine all i can think is that my microphone which is not able to hold the cord in the back of it um the way it used to it's it's wiggly uh so something in there is a little bit loose um and it's a good microphone, but it's also several years old, so it's not worth the expense of trying to have it repaired, and I don't know how to repair it myself. So I did end up uh, ordering myself a new f uh, microphone this morning. I probably won't have it for another few days, so hopefully that'll solve that problem because I really don't like using my headset microphone for a variety of other reasons. There is a reason why I stopped using this in the first place. So in any case, I'm recording this episode with my headset, and hopefully... I won't have the frustrations I sometimes have with it. But in any case, I am still working on tracking down the issue. For those of you who are saying, what issue? I've never known there was an issue. Thank God you're doing okay. Uh, so anyway, uh, that's just a little bit of a lead into this particular episode. Um, the other announcement, and I'll be talking a little bit about this in terms of my Sandy update. I am exhausted today, so I even kind of debated whether or not I was going to record an episode, but I have enough notes that I've been making through the week here and there that I decided, yeah, I should really record one now because otherwise we'll start getting into, you know, where it's going to take a long time or I'm going to start leaving stuff out if I wait much longer. Uh, so, you know, I'm just not going to be top energy today. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully this will still go okay. The other, the flip side of that is um, I could just end up getting really punchy, but at least that would be more entertaining. Um and the only other announcement to say is that I did finally kind of reactivate, uh, re reactivate the Quilting for the Rest of Us page on Facebook this week in terms of I actually did something with it <laughs> and posted a couple of comments and got an immediate response from folks. And we've been having a lot of fun in conversation over there on Facebook. So um, I will be keeping that up as much as I'm able to. Uh, I don't travel a lot. Well, <laughs> that being said, I'm then going to be out of town for two weeks sometime in March, the last couple of weeks in March. So for, I guess I won't even start to say I'm not traveling much. Part of why I'm not thinking like I'm traveling much is because one of those is a vacation. My husband and I are um, spending a week in March in DC, actually. And uh, 
So I tend not to think of that in terms of travel because it's not work travel. But in any case, I will be around more or less and certainly able to be on Facebook. So I'll be keeping up conversation over there a lot more. So if you have not liked the Quilting for the Rest of Us page on Facebook, go ahead and join in because we did have some very entertaining conversation on the page in the last week. I appreciate all of those of you who played along with me and, and left your own comments and were part of the conversation. It was a lot of fun. Sandy update. Okay, the, the Sandy update partly has to do with what I had going on at work this week. This past week was one of my... Um, the easiest way to explain it is an online learning event, which requires uh, conference calls every night at nine o'clock at night for those of us on the East Coast, because we're a national organization. So we have to time it in, in such a way that people on the West Coast could pot uh, potentially participate when they get home from work. Um, and so every night, Monday through Friday, I had a conference call starting at nine o'clock uh, with special guests and, and we were recording the calls. And then after the call was over, I had some uh, logistical kinds of things I had to do. So I often didn't get off my computer until about 10.30, quarter of 11 at night. And then it always takes me a couple of hours to wind down whenever I've been doing anything like that. Uh, so I wasn't getting to bed you know, much before midnight or one o'clock in the morning any night this week and still having to be up and, and working the next day. Uh, my supervisor always gives me the, the choice of either I can take commensurate time during the day of each day of this event, or I can save everything up, work full time and do these events and then take a comp day later. And so I generally try to um, save up and take a comp day. So sometime this week, I'm gonna be taking a comp day to make up for last week. But that being said, that means I'm, I'm really kind of plowing through <laughs> the week and just doing everything I can to survive. Typically, by the time we get to the week of the event itself, other than those evening conference calls and a little bit of minor logistical detail that I'm attending to during the week, most of my heavy lifting is done because I do all the prep for it. And it's, you know, it's really much more stressful the couple of weeks before the event because I've got a lot of things I'm setting up. I do um, daily activity emails, as we call them. I do blog posts. There's a whole lot of stuff that gets set up ahead of time, but I put it all, I schedule it all so that once I get it set up and once the week happens, everything's, you know, for the most part on autopilot, except for those evening conference calls. But this week it was higher registration than usual. And for a number of reasons, this event really took pretty much my full attention all week. I spent very little time working on anything else. Um, there was just a lot going on <laughs> that needed to be attended to. It was all great. It was one of the best of these events we've ever had. Um, but that the same thing that made it a great event also made it a lot more intense work for me while it was happening. Um, but, you know, it, you never, well, I shouldn't say you never. I never really regret having to put in a lot of hard work for something that's really worthwhile. And this really felt very worthwhile. So that was good, but um, I am exhausted. Now, the the flip side of that is that we did up, end up having a snow day. And I always have to laugh because my, my joke is that it snows 300 miles away and I get a snow day. Uh, because for those of you who may be tuning in for the first time, I work from home full time for an organization that is based um, in King of Prussia, Valley Forge area, Pennsylvania. And um, when they get, you know, if they even get three or four inches of snow, they shut down. <laughs> and so it's not unusual for me to get a random snow day. Typically, when they get a snow day, it's kind of up to me whether or not I want to take it because obviously I work from home so I can keep working. But 
there's also something to be said for when everybody else is having off, why don't I have off as well? And generally, my supervisor will specifically email me and say, you know, why don't you take off today because the rest of us are staying home? And so she did do that this week. And I had intended my initial response back to her was, well, I'm still going to put in at least a couple of hours because I had some things I really wanted to try to get done. But then when it came right down to it, in the couple of hours I thought I was going to be working, I ended up having to take a nap because I was just (laughs) exhausted. So this time I did end up getting kind of a day in the middle of things to regroup, which was good. But I did, you know, I still had the conference call that night. Um, But it was nice having a snow day. I did, I got a little bit of quilting stuff done, but I mostly ended up running errands as we have to often. Um, So anyway, what that meant was... I would be off of work, you know, off of my computer somewhere around 5.30 or 6 o'clock at night. And then I would need to be back on my computer somewhere around 8.30, 8.15 to 8.30. Even though our call started at 9, I would often get in there with the special, whoever the guest was of the night at 8.30 to make sure everything was set up and, and working well between us. And, you know, so that only gives you a couple of hours. And as tired as I was, <laughs> I was like, I didn't get to the gym. I didn't, I wasn't real good about my eating. I mean, health-wise, this week was a loss, complete loss. But I also knew I didn't want to spend that much time sitting in my office. My home office and my sewing room are the same room. So I didn't want to be in my sewing room for those only couple of hours that I wasn't in my office working. So what I ended up getting a lot of work done on was my Sue Spargo embroidery project, which was actually, it was really nice to be able to make so much progress on that. I would finish work. Often my husband wouldn't be getting home until seven or eight at night himself because he had some work stuff going on. Uh, so we were kind of ships passing in the night. So I would get done with work. I'd go home, I'd make myself dinner or I'd go downstairs and make myself dinner. And then I'd sit and watch TV and do embroidery until it was time to go upstairs for my conference call. I could not keep doing embroidery on my conference call because I was too busy managing the logistics of the call. But that meant, and then after the calls, as often as not because it would take me a couple of hours to unwind after the call, I'd go back downstairs, watch more TV and and do more embroidery. So I actually got a fair amount of embroidery done this week. Um, It was, it's great to finally be at the point of doing the embroidering. so far i haven't gotten into any real fancy stitches i've been focusing on the simpler edging stitches i think i've done what have i done so far a pekingese stitch which i did in a couple of different places with a couple of different weights uh, types of thread and you really do get completely different looks exactly the same stitch but you use a different weight of thread you either tighten it up more or loosen it up more and you get it doesn't look at all like the same stitch which is pretty cool i did a fly stitch in a couple of places and I think those were the only because st- I did them in kind of a, a fair number fair amount of space and each one it would take me two three times my average is three times ripping it out before I finally get it right <laughs> and going and that's not necessarily the stitch itself right but learning how the stitch looks when you're placing it where you're placing it so like if i wanted something to hide the edge of my applique stitch sometimes it would take me two or three tries to get it placed right so it would really cover up what i wanted it to cover up as it went um there was only one the stitch i'm working on now i'm probably gonna have to once i get back to it i'm gonna have to teach myself again it's the crested chain stitch i believe is what i'm working on now and it's a little bit trickier than the other two 
in terms of keeping track of whether this is a stitch through or a loop through or whatever you're doing. There's like three or four components to each stitch and trying to make sure you're getting those all in order is a little bit trickier. It's still not hard once you get into the rhythm of it. Um, but that one I've I ripped out three or four times before I got it going, you know, spaced right. And now I only got about halfway down one side of what I want to do. So I'm sure when I sit down to do it again, I'm going to have to kind of go through that whole process again. Um, the thing I like about embroidery, though, is you can do two or three stitches and realize you've gone wrong and it doesn't take you that long to rip that out. Whereas when you're on machine, you're more likely to go, you know, 20 inches worth of machine stitching and it takes you a lot longer to rip out once you decide, oh, I need to do something different. So I'm enjoying that. I really do. I'm enjoying the embroidery. I know those of you who have been listening know that I was grousing quite a bit about the hand applique component to making this background mostly because of the issues with the thread and it is still a matter of a couple of the times that i've had to rip something out and starting again it's actually changing the thread because you have to at every step i'm de deciding which thread actually works best for what stitch and then also what needle then works best with that thread so sometimes it's taking me two or three starts to get kind of the right combination of things going where then I can just you know move through the rest of it easily and that is the kind of thing that I know that that's just experience I just have to do a lot of it before I'm much more easily able to say oh this stitch would work really well with this particular kind of thread or whatever um, I have a boatload of different kinds of threads so I'm really being able to experience a lot of them I have a lot of different needles so you know I've got a lot of stuff I can kind of play with back and forth and I'm getting better what I am getting a lot better at is diagnosing the problem. If I have problems with a stitch, I'm much, it's a lot faster for me now to know what the problem is than it used to be. So I'm already picking up a fair amount of knowledge in just what I've done. Um, I have indeed stabbed myself <laughs> a few times. Uh, one was a particularly bad direct hit, and that was because I was embroidering far too late at night when I was far too tired, and I just wasn't really paying attention to what I was doing and I just jammed that needle right into the end of my thumb and um, yeah bl blood <laughs> there is a spot of blood on this wall hanging now but as I said on Twitter I'm just going to embroider over it <laughs> I'm not going to worry about trying to to take it out or anything I'm sure I can come up with some little flower or something I can just put over the top of that spot of blood it's not a very big you know it's not like I was bleeding profusely it's just a little drop so I can fix that later so in any case that's it's nice to be making progress on that my goal was originally to have this wall hanging done in time for easter because it is sort of an eastery thing it's you know kind of pastelly and butterflies and everything but i'm i don't know i'll have to start embroidering a heck of a lot faster <laughs> to make that goal because you know it's kind of an early easter this year so we'll see um i did on my snow day i did get the disappearing four patch baby quilt quilted i really uh was very happy with the way the center came out. I quilted sort of a um, stylized flower that's kind of based on a feather type plume. Um, I think I got it the idea from an Angela Walters quilting class. I think it's similar to one she does. And that went really, really well. I used a light gray thread so because it's a very multicolored brights kind of center. So I used a, a very light gray thread. Uh, so the, the thread itself does not really show up, which is part of why it looks so good, honestly. Um, but in any case, I really, I did 
like the way it turned out. I thought, you know, I did very well at doing the flower and keeping a rhythm and being able to scale it for wherever I happened to be. If I needed smaller ones or bigger ones, I was able to easily do that and traveling back and forth. Um, so I was really, really pleased with the center. The two borders, not so keen on, you know, the, well, I'm not, this is a quilt with no purpose. It's, and I've decided at this point, it'll probably just stay at my house and become a grandma quilt, you know, whenever I do have grandkids or whenever great nieces or great nephews come to visit, this will be a quilt that just lives here that they can use when they're here. Um, the inner, the first border, the inner border, I decided to do a ribbon candy design, um, which is sort of not quite interlocking, but just touching uh, almost a figure eight kind of thing if you're not familiar with the ribbon candy design um, it's a great border quilting design and i did it in a matching thread so you can't really see it if you just glance at it as you walk by fast or as they say from a galloping horse it probably looks fine but you can when you look at it you can see my ribbon candies are not really even i it took me and i had practiced on a practice sandwich and had gotten it down you know pretty well but then when i'm transferring to the quilt itself it's it's really hard to keep those ribbons even and hitting where they're supposed to hit so that it looks you know symmetrical all the way down um, it's a deceptively simple design um, but it i do really like it so it's one I'd, I'd like to put a little bit of time in to improve on uh, can I say that I got better by the end of those borders? Probably not. I think each border, each side kind of started out wonky and got a little better by the end. And then I'd turn the corner, I'd start out wonky and get a little better by the end. So, you know, it's there's some variances in there. Probably when I do get around to posting pictures on my blog, I will take pictures of, you know, selective photography, as I call it. We'll post pictures of the better parts. Um, but and then the outside borders i did actually do a feather design and then just sort of some weird little random filler in the corner because <laughs> by then i was like okay yeah this is never seeing the light of day outside of my house the the feather border was not bad the problem was um that i thought the thread would blend better than it did it looked like it blended when i pulled it on the border fabric you know you take your thread off the spool or some of it and you kind of lay it out on the fabric to see if it's going to blend and it looked like it was going to blend well it's darker than i thought it would be once it quilts in and i didn't really i wasn't able to see that that well until i had the whole first border finished and i decided i'm not going to go back and rip this out you know this is again it's a baby quilt this is supposed to be sort of a practice quilt i'm practicing i'm not going to sweat it and so I did do all four borders. Um, they're not my best. They're not even my best feathers that I've ever quilted. I wasn't, I didn't draw out the feathers ahead of time. I drew the, what do you call it? I'm losing words. That center part, the, the stem, I guess. I did draw that out. So I would, knew, I would know basically where I was aiming. And then I drew out maybe the first couple of feather plumes on either side just to help me get myself started. Uh, but the rest of it, I did freehand. And I have done better freehand feathers than these turned out, but these are the biggest ones I've ever done. So I think part of it is is getting used to doing it in a larger format where I can only see, you know, the couple of feathers I'm actually working on. Plus, I'm sort of wrestling around a bigger piece, a bigger quilt. Uh, certainly, this is baby quilt, so I'm not wrestling. It's not a big quilt to wrestle around, but it's bigger than my little practice sandwiches have been. But 
regardless of whether or not it turned out perfectly, I am very proud of myself for even doing it because typically, you know, a couple of years ago, I didn't even want a machine quilt because I was so afraid I was going to ruin stuff. In the last year of really focusing on my free motion quilting and taking all of these crafty classes and doing as much practice as I've done, I still have, you know, I'm still not where I want to be, but I'm much more confident about at least just doing it and seeing what happens. And the more I have that confidence and do it, of course, the better I will get over time. Um, so that's the, the bonus to that. I do still have to put the binding on that quilt. I think I'm going to do it all by machine. And I might do that this afternoon, but it's already, you know, 4.15. And as I said before, I am really tired. We also, we did presentations last Sunday and this Sunday at my church on our trip to Burma. And this Sunday, we also had a lunch um, some of the, the Kachin that are in our church um, put on a lunch after our presentation because this is all part of helping people understand their culture and, and what's going on in the Kachin state in Burma. So we didn't get back from church and my husband and I had to stop and get a couple of groceries and such. I didn't walk in the front door until about 2.33 o'clock and I am just fried. So <laughs> I think after I get this podcast done, if... I decide it's worth actually posting and you ever actually hear any of this. I don't know whether I'm going to do any more actual sewing quilting project stuff, whether I'm just going to go downstairs and do more embroidery in front of the TV or whether I'm going to, I really should organize. (laughs) I should spend some time organizing because I've got stacks of stuff on my cutting table from this weekend, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. So I may just do some organizational stuff, make some plans, make some goals for this coming week. Um, Fortunately, I only have one conference call, I think, this week. Uh, Tomorrow night, unfortunately, which is sad. I would love to just have a week with no conference calls at this point. Uh, But in any case, I think this week I'll be able to do some stuff in the evening. So I need to kind of get myself organized for that. So anyway, it does feel good to get that baby quilt as far as it is, even if I don't get the binding done today. Um, I completed a craftsy class on cooking fish, which I will be posting to my blog sometime this week. And I am starting, I'm basically in as um, it is called the hunting gathering stage for the craftsy class that I just bought. So sturdy travel organizers with Annie Unrine, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I think I talked about this class in the last week's episode, so I'm not going to talk about it as a class again, but there's two projects in the class. One is a cosmetics organizer, and one is, I think she calls it everything in its place organizer, which is a, a zipper kind of almost suitcase kind of thing, only it's small, you know, train case size, smaller. And it's got pockets on the inside for organizing things. And she did it for sewing tools. Um, I might do it. I, I would kind of like to have a better solution for my embroidery. Right now I've got it in an art bin, which works well, but it's kind of big. If I want something, I can just sort of grab and go. And I wouldn't mind having something like that. And then I'm always per, uh, perennially in a search for the right kind of organizer for electronics when I travel. And I'm pretty sure one of these two bags is the one that Pam of Hip to Be a Square, um, I think, adapted for electronics. But I looked at hers, and that's not going to work for the electronics I have. I mean, this is the the thing is that everybody's got different organizational needs. So what I'm going to do is do this project exactly the way she's got it in the class the first time see what it works and there's there's some adaptability within it so i may be able to make some changes even within making the, the the project but since i'm not 
you know, really adept at the whole bag making thing. I'm just going to follow her directions <laughs> to the letter for the first time. And then once I have it put together, if I really like it and if it was something that I thought, okay, this worked well for me, I think I could do another one of these again, and then maybe make whatever adapt adaptations I need to make at that point. But for the most part, I think I'm just going to do it as is and see how it goes. Um, and I really, I think for the most part, it would actually work because I tend to have smaller electronics and a lot of adapters and a lot of things like SD cards and all that kind of stuff in the pockets and this would work well for that. Um, but in any case, so that that's the, the class. I'm, I'm just at the point of collecting supplies for it. I did have fabrics in my stash for one of the two bags. Um, I had a sunflower pattern batik that's really a deep navy background and then sort of a muddy gold. And I had a lighter gold batik that I can use for accents. And then I've got a, a another navy, just a regular cotton for the interior. It's not exactly the same navy, but it's on the inside. So I don't think you'd really even notice. Um, I think it actually will come out looking a fairly sophisticated combination, which is not bad working for my stash. It was harder than you would think. I have a decent stash and I've got a nice selection, you know, color wise. I actually, a few years back, I very intentionally kind of built a stash. Um, again, not huge. I wasn't looking for quantity, but I was looking for quality of my stash. And I went through and I chose, you know, what colors was I lacking in, what values was I lacking in, and really kind of intentionally looked for fabrics that would fill out my stash. So it works well for things like scrap quilts, which I don't make that many of. It does not, however, work well for things like this, because I don't have, first of all, I don't have a lot of bigger pieces. And um, one of these was only needed a yard of each. I do have a lot of yard, you know, one yard and half yard and quarter yard and fat quarters and such. I don't have a lot that's bigger than a yard. The second bag needed bigger pieces. And although I know, were, were I accustomed to bag making and had I made this bag before, I would know how I could piecemeal several smaller cuts from my stash and make it work for this. I didn't want to get into creating that kind of a headache for myself because it's not always just a matter of piecemealing fabric. It's knowing which one's going to go where and you know how you're going to be cutting it, what size pieces you're going to cut it, and all of that kind of thing. Plus, I don't want to take the time to make fabric in order to get fabric. To fa I want this thing to just be done and over with. This is not what I really enjoy doing. I'm doing it more for a different purpose, and so I don't want to spend any more time on it than I absolutely have to. So that being said, I have the fabrics from my stash for the first bag. The second bag I did end up going shopping for. And actually, I felt okay about that because it's been a long time since I've bought fabric for a project other than borders and backing. Um, and I know it's it sounds funny when a lot of us kind of accept that, you know, when we say, well, I haven't bought fabric a lot except borders and binding or backing. And that's because I think you often can't really, I mean, I do have border fabrics in my stash, but I'd have to build a quilt around the border fabrics. I rarely, when I make a quilt, rarely do I have the perfect fabric in my stash for the border. Um, and usually what I want to do is make the quilt first and then figure out what is the perfect border to, you know, work with this. Uh, it's just two different ways to approach quilt making. A lot of people choose their border fabric first and then choose everything else. Other people make the quilt first and then go find the border that'll work with it. You can go either way. 
there's no pros and cons either way. I've done either way in my life. Right now, most of my stash has more to do with making the border or making the quilt first and then going and getting the border fabric. And as we know, I'm doing a lot less of that kind of quilting nowadays as well. Uh, so in, in any case, I just I needed bigger pieces. And so when I was at my class yesterday, it was in a fabric store. So I went and took time and found fabrics for that second bag. And I went, I ended up going with batiks again. I think it's because, I mean, I, I do, I've always liked batiks, but I've never had anything against cotton fabrics, standard commercial quilting fabrics. And, you know, I've often seen some that are beautiful, but lately I've been having more problems finding commercial fabrics that I really, that speak to me. And I'm wondering if that's not because I have been doing so much more hand dyeing. Batiks really resonate with hand dye fabrics. The two of them work very well together because they're very, you know, batiks are essentially a hand dye fabric, except you're buying them commercially, uh, but they have that same sort of feel to them. So those two things play very well together where it is possible to mix batiks and hand dyes with standard commercial cottons. People do it all the time, but they don't feel quite the same. So I, I suspect there's just something in me that is now more geared towards the hand dye, more geared towards the batik than I am the, the standard commercial fabric. Uh, so that was all a long way around to say I've now got fabric for the second class or for the second bag. Then the other thing I did for myself in terms of hunting and gathering is rather than taking the supply list and going to Joann's or some other, you know, to quilt shops or whatever, and trying to find all the other components, the, the getting the exactly the right kind of interfacing or, or stabilizer, whatever they require, um, getting exactly the right bag parts, you know, the hooks and the brass rings and all that kind of stuff, getting the right kind of, um, you can tell I'm not used to bag making because the words for what I'm even looking for is not coming to me readily. Um, all of those other tchotchke <laughs> that go along with bag making. Um, one of my frustrations in the past is, again, because I haven't done a lot of that stuff, if I go to Joann's and they don't have exactly what is on the supply list, you know, the brand and the number, especially like with Pelon, where they give you the exact number, Pelon 807, you know, Pelon 305 or whatever it is, if I get there and they don't have that, I don't know enough about it to know what's going to work for me as a, an appropriate substitute. And I get stressed out right at the beginning when I'm just buying the stinking supplies. Um, and I have had too many times where I've bought something that somebody at Joann's or whatever says, oh, well, this is basically the same thing. You can get this and I get it back and I'm trying to use it the way the teacher wants me to use it. And it does not work. So that's always been a frustration for me. Um, the nice thing about this class, the the Anne Unrine, and she's got two classes that do bags on Craftsy. She has her own website with, and she sells all these supplies for these bags. Now, you know, are you saying, okay, well then I'm not only paying for the class, I'm also paying for all the supplies for her? Yeah, but it's easier for me. And yes, that does make this the most expensive cosmetics bag <laughs> I will have ever owned because I don't spend that much when I buy mine from L.L. Bean. Um, but, you know, we'll see if I can adjust it and adapt it to be exactly what I need it to be. I guess that'll be worth it. Otherwise, this will be the last one of these I ever make. Um, however, it was very helpful that I could just go straight to her website. Not only does she sell all the supplies, but she actually sells them as kits. So if you take this crafty class, 
you look at the name, the everything in its place bag, like I said, is one of them. You go on her website, you can buy the finishing kit for the everything in its place bag. So you know it's all right there. Um, with the exception, you have to buy her soft and stable, um, fusible stabilizer, whatever it's called, uh, separately, but it's also on her website. So it was very easy to just go in and say, click and choose my zipper color, click and just order. And I know it's all going to come and it's going to be exactly what I need. Um, so that's very useful. I'm probably not going to get to starting those organizers until, I don't know, maybe next weekend. Again, I've got to wait for the stuff to come to me, first of all. Um, but I've got some other things I want to do first before I get to those. But I, I, I'm a firm believer in having everything already at hand before I start a project. So um, I don't remember which bag comes first. But anyway, I will post pictures and hopefully this is not going to be too painful a process for me. Um, the other thing, I just wanted to mention a couple things. First of all, Superior Threads is having a big sale on their Try Me samples. And if you've been listening for a while, you know about the Try Me samples. I've talked about these before. This is where you can go on their website. They have something called a Try Me sample or Try Me special. Uh, Try Me, T-R-Y-M-E. And the deal is you get, you pay less for the spool because it's a sample it's a full-size spool of thread you just can't choose the color they send you whatever they want to send you um, i have only once i've done try me specials two or three times now i think um, and there's only been one spool i've gotten that i've been like oh, i'm not sure if i you know see myself using that one anytime soon uh, i did get a honking big spool you know one of the really big like long arm size spool of a teal colored <laughs> A thread that I'm like okay I'm gonna have to do one big teal project to get rid of that but what I tend to use these on is um, when I'm practicing quilting because I like to practice my quilting with a contrasting thread so that I can really see what I'm doing and so that's when I play with all these threads it's fun to see how they work and then once I've played with them on that kind of a thing and I understand the nature of the variegation and how it's going to work in different kinds of stitches then I will you know maybe actually use it on an art project of some sort so they are having their try me specials are actually on sale so you're only paying two dollars three dollars a spool something like that and I think the sale is on until March 31st so I ordered well, maybe three more three spools of thread because you go through and they list them by type of thread, you know, so there's like Ricky Tim's art color, art quilt color series, whatever his series is called. You go in and you just say, I want X number of spools of samples of that line. And then you can go in and get King Tut samples or whatever. Um, they limit per fi five per type. Um, I usually only get one, one sample of each. I think I might've gotten two of the Ricky Tim's colored ones they're gorgeous colors i struggle a little bit with using them on the machine they tend to break a little bit more but if you go slow enough they're you know you can kind of work with that but anyway that sale's going on until march 31st so i would suggest you might go to superior threads i did also pick up they have some washable stabilizer that's also sample sizes um, on sale so i picked up a couple of those because those are good for art quilt kinds of applications too um okay the class i took yesterday was the same class I took a month ago. So this was the art quilt design class with Tina Somerset. This was the first of the two classes that she offers. She does this one and then she does the color and curves quilt uh, class. 
Last time I was only able to take the art quilt one. I was not able to also do the coloring curves. That's why I did the coloring curves last week. And the reason I did this one again was because after the first one, I went home and I emailed my design study group crew and I said, you guys might want to take this class too. And if there's some of you who want to, I'll go back and do it with you again. And so there were um, three of us took last week's class. Five of us took this week's class. There were six people in the class. So it was us and another woman. And I joked with the other woman. I said, don't worry, we'll be much nicer to you than we are to each other. So you'll do fine. And she had lunch with us and everything. And we invited her to join our group, but she lives on the wrong side of town. So I doubt we'll ever see her. But um, it was, you know, it was a fun class. It was all the same stuff we had done last time. Uh, which meant some of it worked well for me again. Other parts of it, it was hard for me not to keep seeing what I had seen last time, you know, because it was still there. What I decided probably was the case was um, the, like when we were listening to music, the song that we listened to where I had already completed my project, the Nooms uh, project, I was able to then look at other images. I had other images that kind of came to me. That one was the first one that came to me, but I was able to just very consciously put that out of my head and follow some other images and kind of sketch some other stuff based on that same song. The other songs though, where I haven't finished those projects yet, I was still stuck on that image, the the image that had come to me the first time. And I decided it was probably because I haven't finished working with that image. So my brain was much more interested in still gnawing away at that image and figuring out how it would do it than it was trying to move on to something new. Uh, so that was just an interesting little experience of how my brain works. Um, but, you know, it was, again, it was a good class. By the end of it, uh, I had brought my sewing machine because my thought had been that I was going to um, work on finishing up one of my projects that I'd started in the class last week, the Colors and Curves class. But I was just so fried because, you know, again, I had this event all week and I was so tired and it's tiring for me to be around people, even that they're my friends. So even being at the class was just making me more tired, even though I was having a great time. Um, So by the end of the class, I once again didn't pull out my sewing machine. Actually, nobody did uh, this time. They were all working on things that they had kind of started sketching out during the class. So what I did was um, I actually took a couple of my photos and my three-in-one Joan Wolfram color tool and just started working on figuring out, I I decided to focus on monochromatic because I've done monochromatic before on art quilts, a monochromatic color scheme, but where I struggle, I shouldn't say struggle, where I knew I needed to push myself a little bit more, I guess is what I should say. I tend to take the easy way out. So I wanted to push myself some on really using the color card for the color that I was working on, the color family, and really look at what would the lightest light look like and what would the darkest dark look like. And, you know, because like all blacks are not the same, all browns are not the same. Um, If you've never looked at the three-in-one color tool, you should get it. Uh, I actually had to buy a new one. I think I might have mentioned this when I was talking about last week's class because I bought this last week. I had what was probably the first edition of that three-in-one Joan Wolfram color tool because I've had it for a long time and all of my the other people in the class and, and Tina had newer versions and so when we were pulling out our color tools to do some of the color work I kept coming up with slightly different answers <laughs> than they were and when we finally looked at our color cards we realized you know technically the colors are the same although 
print runs are different. So even between them who had the same year of card, if you look at the colors and the way they're printed on the cards side by side, there's just slight variations because um, that's just the way the printing process is. But mine did not have as many color variants on each card as the new ones did. Plus, the new ones have a whole numbering system now that makes it easier to work within them on the cards themselves. And the new ones also have um, the RGB and CMYK HTML code numbers <laughs> for their for their colors, which I do a lot of work on photo editing, digital photo editing, and website stuff. It is really helpful for me to have those numbers at hand. So I'm actually going to, I think, probably start keeping my 3-in-1 color tool on my desk for work. Um, so I had bought the new one that last week. So I took the new one out this week and decided I'm just going to start really looking at taking that color card out, taking a photo as my inspiration photo, and if I were to do monochromatic, what would it actually look like? And I ended up buying two more sets of fat quarters. I hadn't brought any of my hand dies with me, so I know I can also fill in for my hand die stash here at home. I don't know what I'm going to do with these, but I have two more potential art quilts in the making just based on doing that color work. And what I found most interesting was, again, working in the very darks and the very lights in that same color family. Um, holding that color card up to a variety of different batik fat quarters to figure out which one is actually this this color um, and they didn't have a lot of other customers in the store yesterday so one of a couple of the women that worked there were helping me i mean because they were having a great time doing this they were like oh that's so interesting <laughs> so um that was that was a lot of fun so i did end up buying a fair amount of fabric yesterday the other thing i bought was uh some black and white fabric specifically to use for dyeing uh, if you've read Sandy at QuiltCabanaCorner.com, um, her blog, she just recently did some of this, and it was both of us, I don't remember who started this, somebody had posted a link on Twitter to some, some completely other person's blog where they had dyed some black and white print fabric. And so both Sandy and I were saying, oh, this is something we want to play with. Well, Sandy had some black and white print fabric, so she went ahead and dyed it, and hers turned out really cool. I had been looking at my stash, and I have black and white print fabric, but I didn't think any of it would be particularly interesting to dye. Um, mostly it's it's like too small print. So I could, but it would just look like, you know, blue and black or whatever. It, it just wouldn't have the same effect. <coughs> so I ended up getting, I did cut one that's like a half yard, I think, or maybe a full yard, because it's a really cool print that'll just look great dyed in a variety of ways. So I might even cut that one down into fat quarters and just dye each one of them differently. And then I bought fat quarters of several other prints. Well, I got three fat quarters of a dot. Um, it's a white with a black dot. So that one I can just dye each one different colors. And then I'll have a colored hand dye with black dots, which will be cool. Um, so that was fun. So that's really kind of what I've been up to recently. Mostly, like I said, doing embroidery. I did get the quilting done. And then I've been hunting gathering. So... Um, I, I found myself debating while I was driving home from this class. I'm really at a point where I'd really like to start focusing on my art quilting more because I think I'm starting to discern what my voice is, at least for this season. You know, and I think different people, you go through different phases of different kinds of things you do. But I think I'm starting to really discern a pattern of what I do now. And so I, I just kind of want to ride that pattern for a while and see where it goes. Um, but I've got all this other stuff 
that I've got going on. And what what's driving most of that other stuff has to do with my stash. And it has to do with the fact that I've got all this commercial fabric that I've collected over, you know, 15, 20 years of quilting. Um, and there's something, you know, I, I feel kind of guilty about having all this fabric that I'm not using now. And it, again, it's not like I have a huge stash. I don't have a huge stash. I have a comfortable stash. Um, it's, I'm looking at it right now, it's three shelves, long shelves, uh, and it covers most of the colors in the spectrum. It's a well-built stash, as it were, but I'm just not using those fabrics now. And But then, you know, a couple days, or when I got home, I guess it was when I got home last night, I said, okay, I'm just going to start getting rid of fabric. Let me sort out some stuff that I'm either going to see if I can sell off to, you know, guild friends or whatever. And I started separating out some stuff that I know I'm probably never going to use. And then I started thinking, yeah, but, you know, maybe I should keep this in case I do this, that. It's hard to, as a quilter, it is hard to get rid of fabric. Even fabric that I know I'm unlikely to use, there's part of me that still has that trigger of, well, I should really try to use it first. Um, So I'm kind of in this thing. What I finally decided I should do why am I doing these bags? Just to use my commercial fabric, really. (laughs) I wouldn't be doing bags otherwise, honestly. Um, I'm doing baby quilts and stuff just to use up charm packs and jelly rolls. And it's not, it's kind of fun in some way, but it's not what I really want to be doing. So I kind of feel like maybe if I just got rid of my stash, it would free me up to really just focus on the art quilting because then I wouldn't have any choice. (laughs) I wouldn't have any fabric left. What I finally, what I think I've decided is I'm going to give myself a time limit of some sort, and I haven't entirely decided what that time limit's going to be yet. It's either going to be a shorter time limit, like six months, you know, and whatever I haven't used by August, say, I know that's not quite six, well, it's actually about six months from now, I guess. I don't know, I'm not doing math today. Um, (laughs) That whatever I haven't used by whatever month I choose, then I'll just get rid of everything else. Or whether it's the whole year, you know, okay, 2015 is my year to use my stash and whatever isn't used by the end of 2015, then I get rid of it. Um, You know, I haven't entirely decided that thing yet, but just realizing that I think the stash itself is kind of what's holding me back from doing more exploration in the way I want to do it was kind of a big deal to, to realize, oh, well, maybe that's why this is all going on. So I have some stuff I've got to work out. I guess um, that's what it comes down to. And I, I'd be curious to hear about other people who have decided. I know there's people who decide to de-stash. Sometimes you have to do it because you're moving or whatever. But if there's anybody that's just decided to de-stash just to de-stash, I'd be curious to hear what your reasons were, what it felt like, and then what happened after it was done. You know, I, I don't know. It's just interesting to realize that my stash itself might be what's holding me back from other types of creative explorations. I hadn't really expected to to make that mental connection. Um, So anyway, that's my uh, Sandy update and my comments for today. I'm going to now do some listener feedback. Let me pull up my email here that has comments. I have not gotten a lot of comments in the last week. And by the way, um, I have now been in touch again with my website um, tech support. I'm basically in a last ditch effort. I know there are probably still people having problems leaving comments. And I've heard, you know, I've had some interactions with a couple of folks. Um, I get more comments on my blog than I do on the podcast, which is kind of strange to me. Um, 
which makes me think maybe there's problems with commenting on the podcast site. But in any case, I've sent an email to tech support to say, okay, you've got to convince me to stay with you. You've got to figure out what's going on. And if you can't figure out what's going on, I'm gone. The problem is I really like my site um, for a variety of reasons. And I just don't have time to make the headache of changing. So, you know, it's, I really don't want to change, but I want you guys to be able to talk to me. So (laughs) I'm going to, we're going to see what happens with that too. So anyway, from the comments I do have, um, first of all, Sherry uh, let me know that the one, the Fitbit one I had mentioned did not have the vibrating alarm, um, as I thought. She said it actually does. You can set a, a vibrating alarm on your Fitbit one to wake you up in the morning silently. Um, the The reason I didn't really know, I, I probably knew at one point it was there, but you have to be wearing it at night (laughs) for the vibration to go off, which if you're using it as a sleep minder, there's a wristband thing that you can put your little Fitbit one into and wear around your wrist when you're sleeping. I only do that once in a great while. Every, you know, every few months, I might wear it for a couple of nights just to track my sleep schedule. I did when I first got the Fitbit, I wore it for uh, a couple of weeks, but I hate the feeling of something around my wrist when I'm sleeping because I'm not used to it. I, and I am always so on the edge of not sleeping anyway. It doesn't take much. <laughs> so I generally don't wear my Fitbit one at night. If you do wear your Fitbit one, there is a way to actually set a wake up alarm on it. You have to do it through the dashboard of your um, either the app on your phone or your website. So thank you, Sherry, for clarifying that, um, reminding me that yes, indeed you could so that I could tell people who might be either owners of the one and didn't know it or might be considering getting a Fitbit. Thank you to Jennifer um, for her comment on my crafty, crafty class review cut to it strategies for smarter quilting with Debbie Caffrey. Sorry, I have to put my glasses on to read this. Um, she said, Debbie came to our guild just after I joined and I heard she was one of the best teachers. I did buy one of her patterns and it came together wonderfully when I made it several years later. I might need to look at that class. So thank you, Jennifer, for giving me hope that I will actually be able to make this darn bag. Um, oh, Karmic commented on the same where I'd done the, the class review that the links hadn't worked and I don't know why I had to go through and redo them like three times and I was just doing the same thing over and over again and it finally took I don't know what was going on that was just a a blip but anyway Carmen and I did get it um, back to working and she knows it was working now so thank you for pointing that out to me Um, Jackie left a comment on the same blog post I think I'll have to put this one on my watch next list although I work very slowly through the classes she gets caught up in quilting she says go figure and I would say, yeah, go ahead and, and do watch it. As I responded back to Jackie, uh, the cut to it strategies for smarter quilting is one of those classes you probably want to watch sooner rather than later because it might save you some time in one of your projects that you're currently working on. Um, I really did get a lot of uh, out of that class. And in fact, um, I was looking through a quilt magazine today that was uh, various, you know, fast projects for uh, pre-cuts because that's one of the things you know as I said I'm trying to figure out how to use up stuff I've got in my stash and there were a couple of designs in there I thought okay that that's pretty quick I probably could probably do it and immediately I thought I better go back and watch Debbie Crafty's way of cutting that particular thing to see if I can you know speed it up even more um, so thank you Jackie for your comment 
Um, Gretchen also commented on the same thing. She said she thought she might be one of those enablers. I took a pot shot at enablers on Twitter <laughs> at the beginning of the blog post. Uh, and she said, I also bought her new class, which is a bit more project-based, but the projects are very cool. Just thought you'd like to know that she's trying to enable again. And I had looked at her other class. Um, I'm sorry, I just ran into my own microphone. That's part of why I don't like this uh, micro headset. Uh, but in any case, she did... I did look at her other class and I probably will do it at, at some point because again, one of the things I need to get rid of are jelly rolls and char packs <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. And so I suspect she may have some ways for me to do that fairly quickly. So I probably will be buying Debbie Craffery's other class on, on Craftsy, just not yet. I have some other things I want to get through. Thank you to, um, oh, there's another comment for Carmit, from Carmit saying that, yes, indeed, the links worked now. Uh, thank you to Carol for her comment on Craftsy Class Review, Machine Quilting Negative Space with Angela Walters. She had also taken the class, but it was her first Angela Walters class, so she really enjoyed it. So my only um, negative about it was just that I've taken so many Angela Walters classes now that a lot of it I felt was repeated material, which is the first time I've experienced that with an Angela Walters class. I've often said I'm amazed that she never really repeats herself in these classes. Well, this time there was some repeated material, but there was enough new to it that I did still get some ideas from it. Uh, but in any case, uh, Carol says she has looked at Angela Walters' other classes, and they look like more of the same, so she's happy with her one class. And I would say, Carol, again, go back and read my other reviews of her other classes. Just search for Angela Walters on my blog, because generally speaking, every class does bring something new to the table. So I would suggest you might want to look through them. I've liked every class. There really hasn't been any that I haven't liked. She has one more class on, I think, designing or choosing what designs you're going to use in different places. It's a new one. I haven't taken that one. I'm not even putting it on my list because at this point I think I've done a lot of machine quilting type classes and I think I need to focus on some other things now for a while. Um, Kati also commented on the same machine quilting negative space with Angela Walters and she says she agrees it is kind of zen to watch someone else free motion quilt. Um, and she asks if I used a stitch regulator, and I don't. I don't have a stitch regulator on my machine. So, um, yeah, my stitches actually did come out pretty darn even. Um, you know, there's some places where there's some unevenness still. The the long swirls you tend to get going faster, so I'm, I'm still trying to work on myself with that. But I have gotten much better. And the back looks as good as the front. I did a good job on that one. And Cotty actually left several comments on several things. She was on fire <laughs> this week. Um, she left a comment on episode 176 in which I got some new toys. She was also going to suggest the Roxanne glue based it, but then she heard that I'd talked about it in the next episode. And she says, I get my zippers through Etsy from a great seller called Zipit, zipit.etsy.com. They have a nice variety of zippers and great bundle prices. She says she stocked up before Christmas. Um, and she says about the oven mitt potholder debate, why don't you get a set of each so everyone is happy? And yes, that's actually what we've did is at that point and for the rest of our lives we have always had both oven mitts and pot holders in our kitchen. Um, I just use the pot, the oven mitts and he uses the pot holders so uh, that's been our you know you different things make marriages work that's ours. <laughs> it's all about the oven mitts and the pot holders. And Cotty left a comment on episode 177 which I took another class. She was very proud of herself for being the first commenter. She was. And she says, what if in the future you didn't use fusible on the wool applique but just pin the shapes into the background? Um, 
I have used Fusible before and did not have the same problem that I did this time on the Wool applique. So I think a lot of the issue was that my Fusible was old in the first place. And secondly, I did end up pinning the shapes onto the background, but then your thread keeps getting caught in your pins. No matter how hard you try to not have that happen, it does. So I really prefer not to use pins if I can avoid it. Um, when I switched and, and finally glued some of the ones down that I had already fused, but were, the fusible wasn't sticking, um, and I had pins on there and the pins were driving me nuts, so I took the pins out and I, that's where I just used the glue and it was definitely the best solution. I just was pretty careful to use very small dots of glue so I wouldn't end up with big, you know, dry hunks of glue that then I was trying to needle through. Um, and yes, I am still working on the Burma episode. I will say that having done these two um, presentations at church, I now actually have a decent outline I can work from in order to do an episode. So it's just a matter of me now having the time and being awake. It's going to take me a couple of days to recover from last week. And then I am really going to get back to work on putting together that other Burma episode. So yes, it is still in my future plans. And she says, no pressure, but I know there's no pressure. It will happen. Um, and thank you to not Quilt Cabana Corner Sandy, but the other Sandy who has said she didn't have any problems with audio in my um, podcast. So thank you for giving me that feedback. And um, Tammy emailed me. She said she was. it was fun to hear you talk about the shadow box pattern. She says, I think I've made six of them. I don't often repeat patterns. I helped a member of one of my groups learn it, and she made at least six. So this is clearly a favorite pattern. Uh, she sent me a picture of one of her versions. Um, she doesn't say what that fabric is. It kind of looks like it's a hand dye. Is that a hand dye in there? No, she doesn't say it. She says the pattern would be a great way to show off some of my hand dyes. Um, but she says it works well with large scale prints. And that's actually one of the things I've got in my stash that I need to use. And that's what I'm thinking I might use this pattern for. So thank you, Tammy, for that. And um, Melanie emailed to say on the flip side, she was noticing a, lowest, a lower sound quality in the previous episodes. And when I switched to the older headset, it definitely improved. So um, I do think hopefully this new microphone that I just ordered will do the trick. Um, and also Melanie wondered if the chenille needles I was using were sharp enough. And they were. Um, what I've learned is that it really is about pairing the needle with the thread better. And I think I'm getting better at doing that. In fact, a couple times when I was having problems with a stitch, I actually thought maybe I should change the needle and it worked. So I'm learning. Um, so anyway, all of my needles that I'm using, Melanie, are all brand new. I haven't done enough hand stuff um, that any of them are dull <laughs> yet. So that's definitely not the issue. Um, so thank you. That's all of the comments, I believe, from everybody. Thank you, everybody, for commenting. And thank you for listening. And um, that's it for this episode. So please do leave your comments. If you are unable to leave a comment successfully on my website, please do email me. Or if you tweet me, that's great. I get the comments on Twitter too. I just don't remember to pull them into <laughs> when I'm commenting back to them or feeding back to them on the actual next episode. So you can email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com, sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. You can follow me on Twitter, Pinterest, and um, Flickr, all of those places. I'm sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z, and on Craftsy. You can like the Quilting for the Rest of Us page on Facebook, and we'll actually have things going on now. And you can friend me on Goodreads, and you can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us Flickr group. 
And you can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us Kiva team and do good all over the world. And I just realized I think I did those all out of order, but <laughs> that's okay. That's the kind of day it is. You can find links for all of that good stuff at the um, at my website, www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. And until next time, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom.